Amen, amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Uh, anybody watch football yesterday? A couple of you. Um, I feel like it's pretty consistent for me on weekends to start off talking about another enormous Ohio State football win. And we can again this week talk about another humongous lopsided win by the Buckeyes. So if, if you don't watch the games, don't worry about it. I will keep you up to date uh, from here. So I'm happy to do that. Um, as you came in, hopefully what you found on your chair was a Connect card. I want to again remind you uh, of what this is, why it's on your seat consistently. We are uninterested in gathering your information because we can sell it for money. We don't actually, I wouldn't even know how to do that. Uh, we don't care to do that. We do believe your process walking forward in your journey, whether you're uh, trying to figure Christianity out, trying to understand what are the claims of Jesus and why do people follow him, or if you would claim to be a follower of Jesus and want to become more like him, we understand that that story and journey looks massively different from you to the person who sits next to you. And so we as a church, we wanna come alongside of you and help you journey forward in whatever story you're on right now. The Connect card helps us help you. It's a, it's a way for you to communicate to us, hey, here's where I'm at, here's where I wanna go, here's how you can help me. And some of that may be, you can help me by just letting me come here and figure things out all on my own. And we would say, great, we would be happy to do that. But maybe for you, it's you want greater levels of connection or you wanna investigate how do you get involved with this? How do you get involved with that? The Connect card is our way to help you. You're also gonna find on the back a lot of information uh, as it relates to our church. Now, we are a church that's planted across the street um, from a pretty big university uh, called Ohio State. And so we actually have, as a part of what we do as a church, a college ministry, we call it the Salt Company. So if you're a student and don't know anything about the Salt Company, um, again, we want to, to help you walk forward to figure out what it looks like to love and serve you in this current season of your life. And so the Connect card will really help us do that. So if you wanna fill that out, that's great. If you don't wanna fill that out, that's okay too. We just want you to know, why does this continue to show up on your seat? Are we trying to get at something? That's all cards on the table. That's why it's there, okay? Um, we are finally out of Matthew chapter five. So if you feel like celebrating, I would understand why. We've moved on to Matthew chapter six. Uh, and so if you have a Bible, great time to grab it, pull it out, turn to Matthew chapter six, which is in the back third of your Bible. If you have a device and wanna pull up Matthew six, that's great. Uh, if you don't wanna pull anything up and just sit there, that is okay as well. Uh, if you want a Bible, don't have a Bible. I will say this over and over. You'll hear it a lot at Salt Company as well. On your way out, there's a table. We have Bibles stacked up there that you can just grab on your way out. No strings attached. We just want you to have access to the Bible and we're gonna talk about the Bible a lot from here. We're gonna sing songs that come from truth in the Bible. And so we want you to have one because it's important to me that you don't think what happens here is we found some cool songs on Spotify uh, we have some interesting things we can talk about from stage. And so you're just coming to hear me talk about things. I don't want you to feel that way. In fact, I want you 
to have an opinion of the Bible that even if we talked about things that are contrary to the Bible, you would know what is contrary to the Bible and find a place where you can get the Bible even if it's not here. We want you to have access to the Bible. And so if you, if you want, grab one of those on your way out. There's a reason that I'm always pointing you into places in your Bible because I want you to feel like this is what the Bible says, not this is what Luke is telling us the Bible says. We want you to be able to see this and journey forward as you investigate that. Now, you're gonna hear a lot from us as well why we exist as a church. Here's what I don't want. Uh, we have been a church, I think this is our eighth week existing as a church. We launched uh, end of August. We started a college ministry also at the end of August. So we are uh, really new to what it looks like to be a church. We exist not because we just think this is fun. We exist because we wanna see more people become more like Jesus. You're gonna hear me explain what that means. It's mainly two different veins. The first vein is we believe what Jesus has done, who he is, what he's done for people around the world is such great news. We want everybody possible in on the grace Jesus offers them. That's the more people. We want more people to taste the grace we feel so fortunate to have tasted ourselves. And secondly, we want people to step forward into becoming more like Jesus because we believe on the other side of that, it's not Christian obligation, it's not you living a great American life. On the other side of becoming like Jesus is full and flourishing life. And so we wanna help you step into that alongside of us as we also are stumbling forward into that. We are going to continue to talk about what Jesus says here in these chapters of Matthew because he has a crowd around him of thousands of people that he is trying to usher into flourishing life. He's saying, okay, you're walking in here, you're sitting down on this hill with all kinds of different worldviews. Let me wave you forward into life, this way to life. And he's gonna do that again, yet his followers have all kinds of different opinions of how to find happiness and joy and what satisfies. They come with all kinds of different identities. And so Jesus in his grace is gonna press on a lot of those. And it's gonna cause some uncomfortable moments for people. It's gonna cause people to feel like what Jesus is saying is upside down. That's not normal. We talked last week about loving your enemies for us and for the rest of the world. That doesn't come natural. That seems counterculture. It seems upside down. And yet Jesus is unafraid to usher people into what is better, even if it doesn't sound like it's better on the front end. And he's going to do that again here. Uh, I don't know how report card season was for you growing up. Report card season for me was never something I looked forward to. Uh, when I would get my report card, I'd have to bring that home to mom and dad and they would open it up. I never liked that. I always felt like I was in trouble after that. And it was never because of my grades. Report card season for me was not, I'm afraid of what my parents are gonna think about the, the letter grades I have in these classes. I was always massively afraid about what the teacher comments would be on the side because the teachers would say things about how I would behave in school. And I always knew on the other side of that comment was me being in trouble. So report card season for me was never, did he get A's and B's and then getting in trouble based upon my academic performance? It was always, Luke is loud, he talks, he's distracting, he's pulling other people into environments. I have been kicked out of libraries and schools just more times than I can count. In fact, my high school, 
um, you, you had this like progression of your availability in the library. I had, I, I think I've mentioned maybe three study halls my senior year of high school, uh, which meant I was just hanging out in the library, finding things to do, which was often talking. Uh, and so I, I would get kicked out of the library for talking, and the first time you have to leave for the day, and then you can come back the next day. You get kicked out again, you leave for the week, then you can come back. You get kicked out a third time, then it's like a quarter, then it's a semester, then the whole year, then you're out for your high school experience. Um, for me, I, I had gotten to a point where I got kicked out of the library for the, for the year, uh, about end of the, end of the first semester, um, which at that point it was my senior year. It was like, might as well be life. I'm never getting back in here. Mr. Paul and Mrs. Kern love you guys. And I'll see you probably never again, but I would get comments report card. They were never exciting to me. What Jesus has here is a group of people who have a scorecard and a report card to what it looks like to have peace with God. In fact, people would ask them questions, things like this. You feel like you and God are in a good spot. You feel like God is pleased with you. Do you feel like you're resting in the favor of God? Do you think God's excited to call you a child? They would get questions like that and they would try to evaluate what is their report card as it relates to their relationship with God. And they had three main areas of evaluation. They would say, okay, I, I think I'm probably getting an A and here's why. They would have evidence for where they saw the report card to be in their relationship with God. And Jesus is gonna step into the space, press on it in an uncomfortable way. They think three main categories, giving, praying, and fasting. In this particular time in the world, if anybody asked you, hey, how is your relationship with God? Rate that one to 10 you would evaluate giving, praying, and fasting to come up with an answer. If you feel like you're doing pretty well in those three areas, then you would say, no, I think, I think God and I are in a great spot. I think he's pleased with me. I think he's excited to call me a child. If you feel like you're not crushing it in those three areas, then they would have a different level of conversation. And Jesus is gonna step in and press on that. Matthew 6, verse one. This is gonna be a chunk of text I'm gonna read here. I'm gonna read through verse 18. Here's, here's what it says. Here's Jesus talking. He says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans for they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. This might feel maybe familiar. This is called the Lord's prayer. Here's what it says. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, respect to your name. Verse 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. Verse 16, when you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to be, to show others they're fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your father who is unseen and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now we have a truth that Jesus is pressing on here, but he makes some, some statements three times that in my life have left me incredibly unsettled. Uh, here, here's three sentences he makes, verse four, six, and 18. He says that there is a God and that God sees what is done in secret. He sees what is done in secret. I don't know how that lands on you, but for so much of my life, the idea that a holy, powerful God with all authority over heaven and earth, seeing what I do in secret felt unsettling. That felt like terrible news. All of my secrets, all of the private things, the things you thought were buried in your past, the things you thought nobody knew about. And it's not just the private things that you've done. It's also what happens in your mind and in your heart that even if somebody was in the room with you, there's still a level that God sees beyond even what somebody else could see. Your motivations, your desires, your thoughts. Does that not seem like bad news? Does that not seem like it should be unsettling that Jesus wants the hearers around him to know a lot of things? And one of them is that there is a holy, righteous, all-powerful God with all authority and he sees what's done in secret. It seems terrible because it means that it, it's not just an evaluation of if we can do the right thing or not. Our motivations are called into question, which means being righteous as God would have the standard is even further than we even considered. He's got people who could come up with a report card and say, man, I, I could point you to three areas. In fact, not only could I point you to those three areas, I could get witnesses that could come alongside of me as we roll up to Jesus and say, man, I am crushing it and giving, uh, look, look, here's the people that can vouch for me. I'm crushing it in prayer. Here's the people that have heard. I'm fasting, I'm withholding myself from food out of high discipline because I love you. And, and I can prove that here are the witnesses. So as it relates to a report card, I'm crushing it. God and I were, were totally at peace. I have nothing to work on. This is the evaluation of these people. And yet Jesus steps into it and says, not only is that the wrong report card, but there is a God who sees in secret and your motivations are now called into question. And as it relates to the report card, it's not good. Just coming up with grades, how am I doing in this particular area will fall short. It is obvious that schools have understood sending letter grades home to mom and dad does not tell the whole story of how their student is doing in school. I've learned this the hard way. 
Jesus's opinion is just the evaluation of, are you checking the boxes that you label righteousness? Yes or no. Okay, great job or bad job is not the proper report card. It's a small sliver. And as he expands what the report card is, it should lead all of us to a place where we feel like pretty unsettled as we bring that report card home. As we stand before God, it should leave us pretty unsettled to know that it's not just letter grades, are we checking boxes? But there is a God who sees what is done in secret, and that could be terrible, terrible news. Now, Jesus has a group of people around him who, to summarize, they're more concerned with their reputation than they are with their righteousness, more concerned with reputation than righteousness. Now, if you divide those things, both of those things are enormously different. The pursuit of those things are enormously different and the outcomes of both of those things are also enormously different. So we're gonna take them, righteousness and reputation. They pursued reputation before God and others. Jesus is saying, no, no, pursue righteousness. Let's take them one by one. Let's talk about reputation. If your reputation is what is most important to you, you will work tirelessly to control and project the type of person you want other people to think you are. It's like the second you walk out of the door, you're just a walking hologram. Like, no, no, this isn't the real me in the flesh. This is what I've controlled you to see. You have to work tirelessly you have to be exhausted. You have to be stressed because everything has to be an evaluation. You have to have control. I want you to see what I can control. I want you to feel what I can control. I want you to hear me say things that I can control because it's all about reputation. I don't know if you've ever seen the classic Instagram couple, but I, I, I've had conversations with married couples that are having enormous difficulty I've had conversations with couples who on their wedding day felt like they were making a mistake, knew that, have verbalized that on their wedding day and they got married anyways, they thought it was too late to back out. And that has led to years of struggle, years of questioning, did they make the right decision? Did they not? Years of figuring out how to grow together, how to love each other and serve each other better. Marriage has not been something for them to step forward and flourish in. It has been an absolute nightmare. And yet if you pull up a lot of those couples' Instagram, you know what's true? The projection's there. They're, they're even, man, it's fall. You're gonna go to a pumpkin patch. You're gonna get some incredible flannel pics. Talk about what a great spouse that you have. Talk about how they point you all in the right direction, how healthy your marriage is. And yet I see some of this stuff and know what's on the other side of it and know that's just a projection. Marriage is really difficult, but it's, it's not a healthy marriage that many of us pursue. It's the appearance of a healthy marriage that we pursue. And when you make reputation what you drive for, you have no ability to be somebody who's struggling. You can't say, hey, I need some help. Hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I don't understand this. I can't step into full community. I can't even feel like loved and accepted and seen because nobody actually knows who I am. Nobody sees me. They just see a projection of me. And we're constantly afraid that if I step into what is real and authentic on the other side of that's gonna be rejection. 
Like, man, I have, I have no idea how unrighteous you were. Like, I'm gonna say something, there's gonna be gasps across the room and everybody's gonna pull away. This is a pursuit of the reputation over righteousness. And Jesus is saying, man, even if you get the reputation, even if you have it and it's amazing, that reward is still small. It's not worth that. One of the greatest athletic coaches in the history of the world is a guy named John Wooden, coached basketball for UCLA. Here's something he would say to his players often. He would say, be more concerned with your character than with your reputation because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are. He wants players on a national scale to understand that they cannot control the opinions of other people. Like no matter what you do, even if you have a great reputation, even if you're exhaustingly pursuing a great reputation, that will fall short. It will be left tasting bitter and leave you very empty. This is Jesus ushering us into something better. Hey, leave the reputation behind. I know you can stand next to me and everybody can say, man, this person checks the boxes, but the reputation falls short. There's actually something greater. It's called righteousness. Now, how they would evaluate, I told you, giving, praying, and fasting. And those, might, those three might not feel like, like your pursuit of a reputation is in those three categories. Although I would say prayer is a really easy one to test. And, and here's how we're gonna test it. Uh, we're gonna have some of you uh, stand up and lead our church in prayer. And to figure out who that is, I've taped a piece of paper under some of your chairs and if you find that, you have to lead our church in prayer. I'm just kidding. Um, but I want you to know that if the second you're like, oh no, you're reaching under your chair, like, please do not be me. It, probably you're in pursuit of a reputation. Prayer for us cannot be in communion with God, me talking to the created one. It's what if people think I sound weird? Like, hey, lead our church in prayer. And if your heart starts beating and your face starts getting red, it's likely not because you view prayer as righteousness you can step into, like the calling Jesus ushers you into. It's a vocal performance that you do not want to fail. But imagine the pressure that we would put on ourselves if every evaluation of righteousness was something that led us into an absolute stress of reputation. Like not many of you just reached down for the seat. I think probably because you thought, if I don't reach for it, I don't actually have to find it and be the one to, to be led in prayer. But I think this is what we do. We pursue righteousness or we pursue reputation, the appearance of righteousness over actual righteousness. Now, one of the things we've, we've talked about, I, I mentioned this last week, you're gonna hear it a lot, is the commands of Jesus, the commands of the Bible 100% of the time are a calling into something better. 
Commands of Jesus are always a calling into something better. This is not Jesus who hates fun and doesn't want you to live a full life. This is not opportunity for us who claim Jesus to demonstrate to God how disciplined we are, how much we love him, how sacrificial we are by all of the full fun and exciting life we're willing to sacrifice. This is not what commands are. They are a calling into something better. And if you don't believe that, what you're gonna find is Christianity and following Jesus to be incredibly frustrating, enormously annoying, limiting, not fun, a huge burden. But the call of Jesus for us here is not to quit doing what we can label as righteousness, but actually to step into proper understanding and motive of the things that lead us to righteousness. Here's, here, here's, let, me, let me give you an example of this. Jesus presses on these three areas, giving, praying, and fasting. What Jesus wants is not for everybody around him to stop doing those things once they realize their motives are for reputation, not for righteousness. He actually wants them to see the win and the stepping into life that each of these are. Let me talk about them very quickly. Let's talk about giving. Why is Jesus ushering us into giving? One is your heart's gonna follow what you treasure. If you actually want your heart to get to a really good place, one of the great things to do is give your money towards that because your heart is going to follow where your money goes. The best way to deal with materialism or a love of money is to give it. Giving in any form, it frees us from the gravitational hold of money in possessions, Jesus calling into giving, it's not because he wants us to have less, but because he wants to have us. Jesus has an ability to have anything that he wants. Us giving is not because he needs what we have, but because he wants more of us. And, and us have less of a grip on the created over the creator. A guy named John Wesley has said something about giving that is, I always think about it. Here's what he said. Money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I'll throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. I think that is so good. Like money in my pockets is slowly gonna seep into my heart in an unhealthy way. And so I don't wanna deal with it. I don't wanna be materialistic. I don't wanna be controlled by possessions. And so John Wesley's just trying to get money out. I just wanna give it. I don't wanna be controlled by it. We're gonna talk more about that another time, but this is Jesus calling them into actual righteousness. This is good for you. Give because it's best for you, not best for your reputation. Let's talk about prayer. The creator of all things intimately cares about us and wants to be with us in prayer. Prayer actually changes things. God has not only ordained the outcome of everything, he's actually ordained the way the outcome arrives in prayer. We aren't in control. We don't have, a, have any power, but we can say things like, hey, I don't rule the world. I don't have control over the world, but I tell you what, I was just with him this morning. And so I'm gonna bring this to him. Let me step forward in prayer. It reminds us that we are so limited in power that we can just put the burden of everything in our lives, things I can't control, things that are stressing me out, things that are burdening me. Prayer is a way we could just shove that off of our hearts onto the one who can actually control the outcome. Like, man, I'm, I'm stressed. I need this on your plate, not my plate. When you actually step forward into righteous prayer, this is massively great for you. 
Let's talk about fasting. It exposes our appetites for created things over the creator. Reminds us of our dependence on God. You don't eat for 24 hours, you're gonna find out pretty quickly how frail and fragile you are. We actually should have a reminder every 24 hour cycle that we need to sleep like constantly to even live. I one time was flying to another part in the world and I, I got to London and had missed my connecting flight. So I flew from Philly to London through the night. I can't sleep on a plane. And so I, I pull the all-nighter. I get to London to get onto another plane and that plane had already left. And so I'm in the London airport all day. And then I take another flight overnight the next night to my actual destination. I get to my destination at 6.30 a.m. and then have a full day until 8 p.m. I missed two consecutive nights of sleep because of being on a plane. And do you know how absolutely miserable I was? I mean, that is the worst. I tell that story as like legend of just absolute misery, being so tired yet unable to sleep. Fasting is much like this. You wanna know that you don't have much power? Withhold from food. You wanna know how, how much your appetites drive what you do and what you desire all day long? Withhold your things, withhold yourself from things you love. It's what Jesus calls us into. It can even be a great reminder to pray. It teaches us to long for the right things. Jesus wants people to fast because it's best for them. All of these are not Jesus saying, hey, giving, praying, fasting, forget about those. It's not the right report card. He's saying, no, those are callings into life. And you don't see it as a calling into life. You see that as a burden. You, you see the reputation as life. But there's something greater. And, and I'm just gonna talk about two more things quick that Jesus doesn't address, but I think we can often feel the reputational pull on this. One is our Bible. Like, I, I want to read the Bible because I think I'm supposed to, or my Instagram would look better if I had that pick up there. We have this reputational pull with the Bible, a checkbox mentality of the Bible, but it contains truth that we can't generate. It gives me a lens to see the world and to see myself and to see others. The storyline of the book is one about grace and freedom. That's, that's great news. It leads me into deeper and deeper levels of flourishing. I can actually step forward into the life that God has for me. Is this why we read the Bible? Or is it somehow a reputation for God or a reputation for other people? And let me say a couple things about even church. This should feel like a gathering of the sick, not a place for the self-righteous. It's a place where we can celebrate the victory that's won for us in Jesus. It's the place where we can, in relationship, link arms with each other as we stumble forward and try to step forward into the life God has for us. Yet the pursuit of reputation robs us of this. And Jesus calls us into what is better over and over and over. In fact, in his own words in John 10, 10, he says, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. I've not come to steal from you. I've not come to limit you. I've come to usher you into life, an abundant life. And that's not just an eternal statement. That's a here and now statement. I've called to usher you into what is better for you. Does it not make sense for us as human beings to listen to the creator 
and sustainer of our souls to know what our souls actually desire? Does it not make sense to put it on the creator's plate to lead me, the created, into a place that I'm gonna find full life? Does that not make more sense? Then for us in our limited experience and limited even numbers of years on this earth decide, here's what I think is gonna lead me to life. Here's what I think is gonna make me happy. Does that not sound foolish? Yet this is what we all do. We wake up and we go ways that the creator's trying to call us back. When righteousness is your genuine pursuit, you don't have to manage your reputation. Not with people and not with God. I think it's likely that we walked in here, maybe more of a pull for one or the other. Maybe we have a pull towards seeking a good reputation with God. Like, I don't really care that other people know I'm doing these righteous things, but I think if I can actually do these righteous things, on the other side of that is gonna be a God who's pleased with me. A God who would maybe be excited to call me a child, a God who would actually like me. And yet we know from the story and the words of Jesus that even that is foolish, even that will fall short. We don't have an ability to create a righteous reputation with God. In fact, God is the one who says, your most righteous deeds done with the greatest possible motivations are filthy rags before God himself. It falls short. I have at times had people say to me things like, there's no way a loving God could pour his wrath out on sinful people. It just doesn't seem rational and consistent with a loving, all-controlling, powerful God. And usually my response to that is something like, you know, if, if God is just loving, I don't even disagree with that. The problem is that the God of the Bible does not just have one attribute and he does not just have love. He's a lot of things. He's holy and he's righteous and he's just, which means he cannot withhold his wrath for sin. It is outside of God's character. He cannot just say to you and me, hey, I love you so much. And so because of that, let's just forget about all of the sin that you have a part of your life. Let's forget about the shame and the guilt that you carry on. Let's pretend it didn't happen. As great as we may think that would be, God cannot do that in his character. In fact, anytime we take one, of attrib one attribute of God, we zoom in on it and we just try to create a who is God based upon one attribute, we're not gonna get the full picture. We're gonna get a counterfeit God. We do it with love often because that's the God we would most love. But imagine if we subtracted from the complexity of God and his attributes, like maybe just justice. Like we serve a God who is just. And so I'm just gonna focus on his justice and I'm gonna create a theology and a belief system just based upon one of his attributes and anything that makes sense to me at this point in my life related to this one attribute, that's what I'm gonna believe about God. And if we thought God was just just, then we would just see him just like wiping people out and you make a mistake, you're gone. This is also not the God of the Bible because he is not just a God of justice. He's a God of grace and of mercy and of love and of kindness. 
He's unable to do what is harsh. He's unable to do what is unkind. He's unable to do what is unfair. And let me just say, that's great news. It's great news because God sees our situation, knows that wrath has to be poured out for mistakes. And so here steps Jesus. He doesn't get crucified. He's not in agony on the cross because it makes for a great book. He dies and is crucified because somebody had to pay for your sin and my sin. Wrath had to be poured out onto somebody. And so Jesus meets the standard. He gets wrath poured out onto him so that he can transfer righteousness onto our account. So even me as a follower of Jesus, even me pursuing righteous reputation with God, it makes no sense. I already have the righteousness of Jesus, the one who's met the standard. I don't have to be stressed. I don't have to wake up with all kinds of weird feelings about does God like me? Does he love me? Is he displeased for me? Every bad thing that happens in my life, that must be God punishing me. He must be upset. I don't have to live that life. Jesus has transferred righteousness onto me. And so the pursuit even of reputation with God is foolish. But not only reputation with God, but reputation with others. Release the exhausting and stressful projection of who you want other people to think you are and just walk an abundant life. One of these comes with stress and anxiety and, I mean, necessary control. The other comes with peace and joy in a flourishing life. Why would we choose reputation over righteousness? Jesus wants his hearers to say that every call of righteousness is not a desire to be upright and to follow the rules. The call of righteousness is to step in what's better for you. The things that lead me to love the creator over the created. This is the calling into life. And maybe you walked in here and if I ask questions to you, like, hey, man, maybe one to 10, rate on a scale how your relationship with God is right now. Like, how does God feel about you as you walk in here? A God who sees what's done in secret, who knows thoughts, desires, and motivations. What's your relationship like with that God? Many of us might come up with an answer and then we would support that answer with all kinds of evidence. And what Jesus is saying is a yes to Jesus leads you to be able to walk into a place regardless of the week that you had and answer that question with God and I are in an incredible 10 out of 10 place. And it's not because of the righteousness that I just had. It's because I now possess the righteousness of the one who met, met the standard. I now possess the righteousness of Jesus. So God and I, man, we are incredible. I'm at peace. I have joy. I find identity. I'm satisfied. I have contentment all over my life because I rest in the righteousness of Jesus. I don't have to pursue a reputation with others or with him. This is what Jesus is ushering people into, begging people this way to life. Come with me to life. Regardless of the report card you feel like you have walking in here, you can actually leave here 
with the righteousness of Jesus, uplifted with your head held high, knowing you can walk out with an incredible relationship with God that doesn't end when you screw up, but that is eternal. And that is to say yes to Jesus. And if you've already said yes to Jesus, that's to understand the calling of righteousness is an ushering into life. Yet at the end of the day, you still have it. Let me pray for us. God, it is, it is, it is true of me Almost every day, if not every day, I wake up and desire to have a good relationship with you, yet I am so prone to evaluate my own righteousness and then judge how you feel about me based upon the day I just had or the week that I just had or all of the mistakes I've made or even in the times when things are going well, the pride that comes with feeling like we're in a good spot because of who I am. I want to I wanna confess that and, and ask for forgiveness to say, God, you, you've got to lead me to a place where I see the righteousness of Jesus as such a treasure. That I'm reminded of that every day, that I, that I can rest in that every day, God. And for our church here, for everybody who came from anywhere that's here this morning, I ask that you allow us to see righteousness as an amazing calling to life. Not only the righteousness that we can step into day after day, but the righteousness that we can sign on for with saying yes to Jesus. God, would you transfer righteousness of Jesus onto anybody here who doesn't have it? Would you press grace to the ends of this room, to the ends of this city, to the ends of this earth? Would you press grace? God, and would you allow us to walk in righteousness and constantly be reminded that we're being called into something better? And we thank you for Jesus and what he's done for us and the life that following him provides us. And it's in his name we pray, amen.